so as we uh, become more competitive when it comes to uh, attracting businesses, we stand a chance of, of, of surviving into the future that way. Welcome to episode 391 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. For a long time now, Christopher has wanted to bring a representative from Ponca City, Oklahoma on the podcast. Dave Williams, Director of Technology Services, joins him today. Known as a pioneer in city Wi-Fi, the community has recently launched a fiber network utility for residents. Dave shares some historical perspective, discusses the utility, and describes how it fits in and collaborates with the city's other utilities. He talks about Ponca City's free city-wide Wi-Fi, including successes and challenges that have arisen. Christopher and Dave discuss the community's decision to expand fiber to the home, marketing the new service, and going the extra mile to make the service subscriber-friendly. Now here's Christopher talking with Dave Williams from Ponca City, Oklahoma. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in Minneapolis. Today I'm speaking with Dave Williams, the Director of Technology Services in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Welcome to the show. No, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I I was just telling you before we started the interview. I'm I'm quite excited. I think what you've done in, in Ponca City is is fascinating. Um, you were um, the, we're going to talk about wireless. We're going to talk about fiber optics. We're going to talk about things more than 20 years ago, um, and it's just it's wonderful. But let's start off by uh, getting a sense of what Ponca City is like. Uh, Ponca City is in north central Oklahoma. We're about uh, 20 miles south of uh, the Kansas line. The first thing I'm learning is that it's not Ponca, it's Ponca. Okay, I can I can remember Ponca. that. Ponca. <laughs> That's all right. We we understand you northerners. <laughs> <laughs> Ponca City is actually what's called a micropolitan area. We're a city with a population of over 25,000 in a county with a population under 50,000. So we're we're nowhere near as big as Oklahoma City, Tulsa, some of the larger cities in Oklahoma, but for the geographic area we're in, uh, we're you know uh, we're we're the city that other cities look to in our general area. And when it comes to certain technology pro- uh, projects, we're the city uh, that kind of stands out in Oklahoma as being the first to do a lot of things. Uh, citywide free Wi-Fi. We're not the first to do municipal broadband offering, uh, but we'll be the first to actually complete our project. Well, let's just jump right into that then. So what is the, ignoring the, all the history, what is it that you're working on right now? Uh, city commissioners here in Ponca City believe that our residents deserve the same type of internet service available in larger cities. Unfortunately, none of the incumbent providers were willing to step to the plate and either build or rebuild their outside plant to offer those services in a consistent, meaningful fashion. So we decided to fix the problem ourselves. And on uh, July 1st of uh, 2019, Ponca City Broadband was created. What this uh, It's a new utility service in Ponca. Uh, it'll be the fifth utility that Ponca City actually owns through our utility authority. Uh, but Ponca City Broadband will offer ultra-high-speed Internet access to every home and business inside the city limits as its initial process. And eventually, uh, we'll, we'll kind of cross those city boundary lines and offer it to neighboring communities as well. One of the things you mentioned is is one of the things I'm quite curious about in that uh, it is a utility. The city has an electric department, but this project is, seems to be run from your office and not from that. And I'm I'm curious about that because that seems a little bit irregular from what we normally see. 
there was discussion back and forth on uh, whether it belonged in uh, uh, the energy office or the technology services office. Historically, uh, the fiber throughout town, uh, Ponca City's had fiber optic networks since 1996, primarily for the city's private network use. But then we rapidly expanded that to cover the public schools, the university center, and our hospital here in town. Uh, and then expanded that even more starting in about 2005 to offer business broadband services. So it, it was a good partnership between technology services and energy uh, throughout the years. Energy had the equipment and the people to string the fiber up. I mean, it's, it's somewhat similar to streaming, uh, uh, stringing up electric cable, but they didn't have the internal knowledge of how to operate a network. So we've always worked in kind of a partnership with that, but with the formation of Ponca City Broadband, where we're now offering this to residential customers, we moved the entire operation over to technology services. That the overriding network uh, philosophies that go into this, it was a better fit in my department than it was in energy. Sure. And uh, do you still share trucks and things like that then, or are those things totally separate now? Uh, it's kind of a hybrid model right now. We, we actually have two physical plants in town. We've got our legacy broadband or our legacy fiber system that the energy department will maintain and continue to work on the outside plant. But the new fiber plant that's being installed for residential services uh, is a different set of uh, different set of employees. We're actually hiring employees, buying our own equipment, uh, and beginning to uh, expand that service. That uh, we started this project with a fairly small phase one area of town, and we picked a fairly small area intentionally. Um, we're not sure what it actually takes to operate uh, a new utility, so we're going to learn as we go and grow as we go. Well, let's go back to uh, what you were talking about in you were to give us the thumbnail sketch of the, the history of it, but um, why did you expand to the schools and, and the businesses? Like, was there What was the motivation for, for that at the time? The schools, uh, we have a quid pro quo agreement with the schools that uh, we ran fiber through the school to take advantage of network switch room locations that were already present there so we didn't have to build new. And in exchange for that, uh, uh, made sure the schools had their, uh, it's dark fiber for us. We just provide the fiber. Uh, they actually run their own network. So that was a, a good agreement at the time that we, we didn't have to build new knocks or network locations throughout town. We used existing buildings that were there, and the schools offered us a, a pretty good geographic disbursement of those buildings. And if I had to guess, a pattern that we've seen elsewhere is that you did that, and the schools were getting good access, and you had high-quality access around town, and the businesses came to you and said, hey, why can't we get on this? The business broadband portion of this uh, precedes my uh, time of employment with the city, so I'm dealing with some history and just some... Uh, um, just word-of-mouth knowledge now. We did have a couple of businesses that approached us and expressed an interest, uh, and at the time that happened, the city wasn't prepared to, to take that on, but it was kind of kept in the back of everybody's minds that as we grew and, and our fiber footprint got larger, um, my predecessor saw uh, an opportunity to, to pick up a revenue stream to actually help fund some of the other initiatives that were happening in town, uh, increasing the fiber footprint, uh, the, the city-wide free Wi-Fi, several other things in, in town that happened uh, within a few years after that. And let's talk about that city-wide Wi-Fi. That seemed like it came after the Wi-Fi bubble elsewhere uh, in that it was maybe had learned some lessons of what worked and didn't work in other places. 
Well, um, in some cases, yes, and in some cases, uh, we probably set the example of what to do and what not to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, the the citywide free Wi-Fi was uh, uh, kind of an expansion of another project that was going on in uh, in town here. It was called the Smart City Initiative. Uh, rather than have meter readers go out and read the electric meters and the water meters, we now have that all reported back in through a, a radio or Wi-Fi frequency. The bandwidth and the equipment that was necessary to do that for the utility departments, uh, there was a uh, we saw an opportunity to expand that and be able to offer it as a free service. Uh, and this is a hotspot kind of service. You don't have to go to the library to get this. Most people in town from their homes can see the Ponca City free Wi-Fi uh, radio signal and just attach to it. And I had read somewhere that 25% of the nodes were actually on the fiber backbone, which is a, a recipe for keeping the, the quality pretty high if you don't have too many hops. Right. We have uh, approximately it's 85 gateways in town and about a total of 452 uh, so of the 452, 80, 82 of them are the gateways. The rest of them are just repeater nodes. And the goal has always been never never to make more than two hops. From a repeater to a repeater, you need to talk to a gateway. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the things that I remember reading, although it could have been incorrect or I could be misremembering, um, was that you also had a significant public safety component of that too. Was that right? Well, initially... Um, the fire and police departments were going to use a private channel on the same Wi-Fi radios. Um, that was uh, that, that, that's something I was talking about earlier. Whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, <laughs> if we had just left this as a muni-wide free Wi-Fi or muni-wide Wi-Fi, the police and fire components would have worked uh, really well on that. Uh, the muni-wide would have been the roughly 85 radios throughout town. So that gives people a chance that as you're traveling through town, you're not disconnecting from one, connecting to the next, connecting to the next. By expanding that to offer citywide free Wi-Fi, uh, what we saw was an unexpected amount of additional uh, connections and traffic on the network that made it a little less than reliable to the police and fire departments. So we, we, we struggled for a couple of years trying to make that work and finally abandoned the public safety portion of that and move them over to private cellular carriers. Okay. And one of the things that we've seen in, in Wi-Fi networks that have stood the test of time is that as the streaming video has picked up and picked up and picked up, that people have ultimately uh, just wanted more and more and more. And so was that a part of the reason that you decided to go to the, the fiber to the home ultimately? Um, that was a, a good push uh, to start with, but uh, the, the, the major emphasis on fiber to the home is that it, it's now the future-proof network. The, the speeds and bandwidth that we're able to, to do in fiber optics right now, the fiber itself can handle hundreds or thousands of times more bandwidth than that. You are right, though, that, uh, that our residents were screaming for more, that uh, free Wi-Fi wasn't cutting it when it, came, uh, when it comes to streaming a movie. Uh, they were delays getting the movie started, it buffers several times. Uh, and even though it's free, it, it's not deemed to work as well as it should. Right. Uh, ultimate evolution of that is let's give them something that now is future-proof. And one of the things that we haven't mentioned is I'm presuming that there was some cable and DSL available at that time, but, but many people were choosing uh, your service instead. Well, free is hard to compete with. 
<laughs> yes. Although I'll, I'll tell you that as someone who uses this quite a bit, in my example, I'm generally willing to pay for quality. And I'm, and I'm guessing that, you know, as you're going to market, you're going to be having to compete against others. So um, you're going to be have to um, have different expectations now, perhaps. Right. And, and uh, we're, we're addressing that through our marketing strategies right now. Um, most, most all of the incumbent providers here in town have an asterisk in their plan. And if you read it carefully, it'll tell you you get up to the bandwidth you subscribe to. Uh, our service agreements, we don't require contracts. We have a service agreement just like a, a typical utility services agreement. And our agreement says you'll never get less than what you pay for. We guarantee you'll get the bandwidth you paid for. And do you have a mechanism for testing that in the, the gateway at the home then, basically? Right. The hardware provider we went with uh, also has analytic software, so we can actively monitor uh, home connections to see uh, is anything uh, falling through the crack? Is there a, a bad Wi-Fi signal? Is there a bad exp- a potentially a bad experience in a home? Better than 70% of the time, we contact the subscriber before they have a chance to contact us. And say, hey, that 10-year-old Wi-Fi router is not cutting it anymore. <laughs> Fortunately, none of our equipment, uh, we just went and we just started operation July 1, 2019. So all of our stuff is still very new. But what we are seeing and, and we're able to share with our customers is your 10-year-old laptop is connecting in using a 2.4 gig signal and it's locked into one or two channels. It can't surf the channels like it needs to. That if you're, you know, there's nothing we, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do to make that 10 year old laptop work any better, but we can recommend you might consider replacing that if it's causing you problems. Right. Now, I want to talk a little bit about how you've accomplished this because one of the things that I've seen in communities that have done what you've done in terms of this incremental approach, making remarkable investments at reasonable costs is that it seems like you do a lot of work in-house as opposed to going with contractors. And, and I'm curious if you can just tell us how you've managed that. Well, actually, we've adopted a kind of the, the opposite approach to that, that uh, we hired uh, two employees to start with and we outsourced most of the operation so far. In fact, all of the outside plant construction is contracted out. Um, a majority of the in-home installations I have uh, uh, in, in-house staff that can do up to 10 installations a week. We have a local contractor that can do up to 60 more installations a week. And then we have an, uh, a larger contractor that I can bring into town, and they can potentially do 150, 160 a week if needed. We're outsourcing our help desk. We're outsourcing our network engineering function, primarily because we really didn't know going into this what's exactly involved in that. I mean, how many calls are we going to get a week? <laughs> How long does it take to satisfy the customer on that phone call? Um, and it just made more sense to outsource that. But we did outsource uh, to a fairly local. We, we went with a Midwest company for our help desk for a couple reasons. Uh, we, we want somebody that uh, that understands how to speak Oklahomese, Oki. <laughs> right. We need him to understand our accents. <laughs> No, I, I I thought that maybe maybe it was prior phases. I I read um, I just had been doing some background research to prepare, and I maybe it was previous phases you'd done more in-house work. Um, I've seen both strategies work, um, but one of the things that we've seen is a challenge with um, even in, especially in a tight labor market, having uh, the contractors take enough care to keep your your reputation with the uh, your new customers. But uh, that's not been a problem for you then. 
Right, with our service level agreement with uh, the help desk, we're very specific on that, that the amount of time they have to answer the phone, how many rings, how long a customer can be on hold, uh, a threshold percentage of uh, uh, problems that are handled with that single phone call compared to a truck roll, even compared to a second phone call. Uh, And so far, uh, we've been very happy with that, and our customers absolutely love it. Did you benefit from um, planning ahead with uh, dig once policies in terms of um, years ago getting conduit in the ground and things like that to prepare some of these neighborhoods? Um, well, I wish we had, but the honest <laughs> truth is, no, we didn't, and we're going to pay for it now because now we have, uh, in the last two years, have adopted a. Um, if if any city department puts conduit in the ground, they put spare conduit next to it. But there's just a small percentage of the town where that's already available. Now, our energy department is is a good partner with me on this. That uh, they're beginning to go through some of the problematic areas in town where we've had uh, what's called phase problems in the util- uh, with the electric. It's where uh, the utility poles are in a back fence easement and trees grow up through them, and a tree branch can short the two phase power out or the three phase power. So our energy department is actively moving to put their primary uh, energy circuits underground, and while they're doing that, they're also pulling vacant duct for fiber to go that route as well. Now, isn't isn't Oklahoma hard to dig in? Isn't that a significant cost? Parts of it are. In fact, uh, Ponca City is roughly 21 square miles. The east part of town is built uh, built up on some fairly dense limestone rock, so that that's going to be some uh, some major expense for us as we go underground because it's not only underground; it's through rock. Yeah. But the the geographic formations, I mean, it is what it is, uh, and we're, we're going to have to address it and deal with it uh, as best we can when we get there. Fortunately, those areas of town are the, the last two phases of a five-phase project here in Ponca City. And how is the first phase treating you? Uh, when I read what appears to me now to be a, perhaps a, a faulty source, <laughs> that um, you had completed the first phase more or less, you're working on phases two and three of laying them out and things like that. Right. Phase one construction is complete. Uh, we opened the doors to the public on that July 8th, 2019. Um, our customer numbers are, well, it's actually a little slower than we anticipated, uh, but we're getting there. Uh, we're, we're on track to meet uh, our take rate assumption for the overall phase one area. Uh, but we've identified some, some unanticipated challenges of getting customers to switch. Uh, most people, when, when you think about changing an internet provider, you think about how painful it was the last time you did it. That's right. And there's some reluctance then that unless you absolutely cannot stand your current provider anymore, you're willing to put up with them a little bit more. Uh, word of mouth is going to be our best advertisement on that because uh, it's one thing for me to tell the world how great Ponca City Broadband is, but when your neighbor tells you how great it is, you'll listen to, to that person. And you're starting to see that now six months later. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it, our customer onboarding numbers now are, uh, it, it was higher last week than it was the same week the month before. So we are seeing a, a definite upward trend in that. Another problem we faced here in phase one, phase one is roughly one square mile, almost in the center of town. And it's very difficult to mass market to one square mile in a 21 square mile town <laughs> with, with various direct marketing. Uh, some work, some don't. But again, word of mouth is kicking in, uh, and, and we're hearing from new customers. I'm here because my neighbor said, you're the best thing since sliced bread. 
Well, and I imagine it's a political question in terms of if you want to start bragging to the entire city, knowing that some of them are going to be waiting a few years, you don't want to upset them. Right, right. How do you know that this is um, a smart investment? Like, are you hearing anecdotes from people or do you have a sense that it's attracting people to town now that you have this much higher quality service? Uh, you know, how do you, what's your external validator? We're working uh, off and on closely with our development authority and our chamber of commerce. They're feeding us information from businesses that are sniffing around the edges of Ponca wanting to know, you know, is there office space or is there uh, commercial space available for them? One of the questions that always comes up is what kind of uh, uh, internet connectivity, what kind of broadband access do you have? Um, and here in the last year, now that we knew that this was going to happen, uh, there's actually, you know, we've attracted three outside businesses in the last year that weren't even on the radar scope prior to that. Now, I don't know that it's fair to say it's because broadband's here, but broadband certainly gives us the competitive advantage that we wouldn't have otherwise. Well, I saw that your impressive access for um, small businesses that you've been making available previously compi uh, combined with your wireless network had led you to get a, a recognition from American Express in terms of being a great location for small businesses several years ago. We, we, we keep trying to you know, capitalize on that and trying to find new, uh, new additional, different ways of getting that information out because, you know, uh, Ponca City is a population of roughly 25,000 people. Uh, it's really not a bedroom community to anything close by, even though it is. You know, we're kind of in a triangle between Oklahoma City and Wichita, Kansas, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's about an hour, hour and a half either direction to get to one of the major metropolitan areas. Small Town USA doesn't typically attract a migration of people wanting to move to it. If you want to retire to one of those communities, um, or if you've got family there and you're trying to get close to them, th th that's typically the reason that people move to a small town. So as we uh, become more competitive when it comes to uh, attracting businesses, we stand a chance of, of, of surviving into the future that way. Do you have any advice for um, a, a person from another town of 30,000 people, 25,000 people, uh, who's a director of technology services as to how to go about this? I mean, I imagine this person is sitting there in a, in a position where they're frustrated with their access and they're afraid that the city council is going to laugh at the idea of spending millions of dollars on a broadband system. Well, actually, uh, I, I wasn't in that boat. It was the other way around. Our city commissioners brought this project to us and said, find a way to make this happen. <laughs> if, if you find yourself in a position where you're trying to sell this, I'd encourage you not to look at it as a money-making opportunity. Look at it in terms of quality of life. Uh, that, that's the real selling point to broadband is it is a quality of life issue. Uh, anymore, access to the Internet is really not an option. Now, how you get to it might be an option, but needing the access... Um, is just becoming more and more of an everyday. We need it like we do energy and water anymore. Cities that don't have it are likely to wither and die. That's, that's what we're hearing from the people we're talking to as well. Well, um, let me ask you if there's anything else that I should have asked you or any points you wanted to, to make uh, regarding the network. Uh, it's, it's been a whirlwind project. Uh, we thought about it and kicked the idea around for five or six years. And when we pulled the trigger on it, uh, if, you, if you find yourself in a similar position, just be ready. It, it, it gets out of control fast in a good way. 
is that is that just a sense of all the the possibilities just so many details to keep track of what what makes it get out of out of hand like that a little of both um, a lot of decisions have to be made very quickly but they need to be made very carefully because you make a wrong decision it's expensive to change your mind later on broadband uh, utility services are not like the traditional utility service. I mean, at a high level, they are. It's a huge investment up front, but you can't depreciate the full cost of that out over the 20 to 30 year lifespan that you can on a water plant or an energy plant. Uh, about half the cost of broadband are tied up in electronics, and they're going to have a five to eight year refresh cycle. That the, the, the fiber plant itself might be good for 30 or 40 years, uh, but the electronics driving it, uh, you got to keep up with the times. Right. I've actually known those numbers for a while, but I never really thought about how that's significantly different from the other sorts of heavy infrastructure that we're, we're used to. Uh, well, Dave, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate the, the opportunity to learn more about Ponca City <laughs> and um, <laughs> look forward to checking in in a few years to see where you're at. All right. Thank you. That was Christopher with Ponca City Director of Technology Services, Dave Williams, discussing the community's Wi-Fi and fiber-to-the-home networks. We've followed Ponca City throughout the years, so check out more stories about the community on muninetworks.org. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons, and thank you for listening. This was episode 391 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. 